Welcome to Be The Difference, stories of everyday people who are being the difference in the lives of others. Be The Difference is presented by Back to Back Ministries, who exist to be a voice for orphaned and vulnerable children around the world. I'm Sammy Matthews, and I'm here with my co-host, Chris Cox. Uh, today, we get to talk about music and the way that can be the difference. I'm excited about this one. Yeah, it's kind of a new avenue for us. For sure. We haven't really talked to anyone who is being the difference through music. Yeah, we are having a conversation with Troy Colberth, who is the founder and CEO of Cross Worship. Cross Worship is a collaboration of worship leaders with a heart to reconcile the body of Christ across denominational and racial divides. Troy also serves within the local church environment, and his role within that has been worship leader and some youth work. We just found out that he is being um, ordained as the sent man for Tridestone New Beginnings Church in Cincinnati, where he will step into the role that his father is retiring from, um, Brother Jerry Colberth. There's a lot in this episode, and so we're going to give you a couple things to listen for. First, we're going to reference a video called So Will I that Cross Worship uploaded to YouTube about three years ago, and at this point, at the time of recording, has about 54 million views. So if, as you're listening, you're thinking, what is this video? Well, we've got the link in the show notes for you. I actually encourage you to pause, go watch it, and then come back and listen to the episode because it's going to make a lot more sense that way. Also, as Chris said, Cross Worship seeks to bridge denominational and racial divides, and that has a lot of challenges. We're going to have a really honest conversation about some of the challenges Troy has faced. And also listen for the impact of what can happen with one specific song in one specific person's life. Here's our friend, Troy Colbert. So Troy, you wake up one morning, you look at your phone, you see Spotify has a notification, and you've got a song that has a million listens called So Will I. Mm. Maybe it was 500,000 that you noticed it the first time, or 100,000, maybe it was 2 million, 3 million. Can you take me to the moment where you looked and thought, I can't believe this is happening to me. <laughs> yeah, I um I was actually doing a um, Christmas service at Crossroads Church. Okay, um, I was hired in to to help lead worship for that, and we were sitting in the green room, and um, my phone just starts going off, and I'm like, man, like who is calling me? Because I, I left my phone in there, mm. so I finally um, just opened my text messages, and it, 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 every message said, check YouTube, check YouTube, check YouTube, check YouTube. I'm like, wait, what? So I, I opened YouTube up, and it was at 250,000. Wow. Now, what's funny is we posted the song in like September, and it sat at like 110 views or whatnot, and I was like 90. Of those views, um, <laughs> so but it, it just kind of blew me away, and it was like at two two mm. something two hundred something when I looked at it, and then throughout the day, then three hundred, four hundred, mm. five hundred, and then by the next day, it, it was just shy of like a million views, and um, I, I I didn't know what to think, but I knew it was a God thing. So I'm like, well, God put His hand on it, mm. and. And it was, it just, yeah, it blew me away. Blew me away. I was grateful. So if you were able in that moment to pick up your phone and call 12-year-old Troy to tell him about what had just happened, how would he have received that call? Like the 12-year-old version of you if he heard, 
hey, this is what we just did. <laughs> what would he have thought? Uh, he would have said, shut up. You're lying. <laughs> Come on now. Like, well, first he would have asked, what is YouTube? But then, <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> True. Valid. Right. But he would have been like, man, shut up. Like, what? Because that was never the intention of mm. of getting music out and, and being world recognized was not the intent. Uh, just as a creative, that's just what, it's just natural. That's just what we yeah. do as creatives. We just create. And, you know, if we're satisfied with creation, that's cool. At 110 views, like that was, I was happy that it was just out. Yeah. Um, but to see that God just put His hand on it, and just took it around the world, just kind of blew me away. Um, and at that moment when we put it out, no intention on it blowing up at all. We, it was, I was sitting in the studio with our uh, our MD, our producer at the time, and we were just playing back that youth service that we read when we mm-hmm. sang So Lie. And um, I was like, man, this sounds amazing. He was like, right, it does. Dude, we should put it on like YouTube or something. I was like, oh, you know, I don't really know. It's a little it's a little rough around the edges. Yeah. He was like, why not? I said, you know what? Why not? And we had had that phrase for that year. Mm-hmm. Just kept, if anytime you start questioning something and somebody throws out why not, and you can't figure out a reason, do it. Uh, Go for it. And so I was like, oh, there it is. That's a magic word. Well, let's do it. So we spent maybe maybe like an hour just kind of fixing the volumes on on the video and then put it out on on YouTube. And then he was like, man, we should just throw it up on uh, iTunes and Spotify too. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. So I went and researched how to figure that out and, uh, you know, get permissions and stuff. And we went ahead and did that. And then – while the video was climbing, iTunes and Spotify mm-hmm. was going crazy. And I'm like, wait, man, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then um, then I'm getting phone calls from people like, man, I heard this while I was walking in Sears or I was in Walmart and I heard this and that. Like just random places, people are like, man, I, I could have swore I heard you guys. <laughs> um, and then it's on Pandora and, and all this stuff. So I'm, I'm grateful. Never would have thought that would have happened Um but God used that to kind of open a lot of doors yeah. uh, to be more creative. So you said 12-year-old Troy would, never would have believed it. No. no. But I would guess he was already a creative. He was, but he was definitely a, um, a point guard and wanted to play basketball. <laughs> so there was a little <laughs> both. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I only played music for girls. So. Oh, well, that was my <laughs> okay. next question. Oh, yeah. Where did the, the drive to create music and do music, where did that come from? But I guess it, it had a purpose. Yeah, it, did ha- it did have a purpose. I, um, I mean, growing up, uh, how they got me in music, my parents, um, we had this little toy keyboard and um, – I would I would have it in front of the TV because I, I thought it was fun to pick out the, the mm-hmm. commercial music. So I would pick it out and then figure out how to play it. And so when the commercial came on in a song, I knew play I would just play with it. And so I remember my mom one day was like, I th- this is like a real serious gift. Like, we should probably, like, <laughs> get you in lessons or something. Is that something you want to do? I'm like, uh, yeah, whatever. Let's Let's try it out. And I hated it. I hated it. I hated going to piano lessons. I, I just wanted to play basketball. Mm. That was my thing. Like I'm like, I'm going to be a basketball player. I'm going to grow one day, and I'm going to fool all you guys. I'm going to be like six foot tall. Never made it. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> Never made it. I stopped at 5'9". Um, but by the time I got to around high school, I just 
I just used the music just to write. I knew that I liked writing stuff. Mm. I liked creating. And um, and so I would just do that and just have notebooks of songs and things like that. And um, and other, other than that, I just used it to try to impress the females at school. Like, hey, I could play this Tupac song. Want to hear it? <laughs> do you want to go on a date <laughs> now that you heard that? Yeah. It didn't really work. But it was something to think about. So When did it change, like, to shift from – this is just for girls or this is just my book full of words and things that I've written to outward facing toward the world. So um, in high school, um, toward the middle of the year, my ninth grade year, um, I had gotten real close with these guys who um, they sang and they sang in church. And I did every once in a while, but it was kind of like, Church was not my focus. And I'm like, ah, okay, my dad, he's a, he's a pastor and all this stuff. I'm just tired of being there. So now that I can do my own thing, what I thought I can do, um, I just was kind of trying to push away from that in mm-hmm. a little rebellious phase. But these guys ended up being two of my closest friends, and they were so serious about the Lord. Like, hey, bro, like, you need to take this like serious. And you should come to church with us. Like, if you don't like your church, you should come to church with us. And so I started just kicking it with them on the weekend. And then um, to make a long story short, uh, they started this gospel choir. Well, they, they ended up leading this gospel choir, um, the after-school gospel choir thing. And it was like, dude, you should play. I'm like, ah, I ain't really trying to do all that. It's like, no, nah, like, we need somebody who plays the piano. Like, And so I ended up playing for this this choir. I'm like, man, this is like really fun. This is like, this is really awesome. And then um, just being around them and we ended up starting like this band and started writing songs. I'm like, wait a minute, like I got songs. Like I think, so this is now an avenue I can start feeding songs through. And um, yeah, we did a lot, man. We traveled the world and this little worship band of, of, it was started with like three or four of us, then it ended up being five of us. Went to, Africa and to lead worship and then Jamaica and just travel all around just singing these songs that were in these notebooks and that's when it became real like I think God wants me to, to write music for him so yeah what kind of impact were you seeing as you started traveling the world and singing and what impact were you seeing in the people that were in the audience it, it's always a shocker to uh, to you when someone approaches you after a concert or worship night and says, man, this song really spoke to me. And it was like, it's a song that was your personal prayer to the Lord, just you in your bedroom. And and someone says, hey, man, that was like, that has been my prayer for a long time. And like it, it hit me in a different space. Um, it just blows me away. I, I get shocked. Um, it's, it's just weird. It's a weird type of mm. balance. Um, as you really, you know, oftentimes you 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 kind of discredit what the Lord does in your life. It's not as great as what others may think it is, uh, or others think it is. So you kind of downplay that, and it mm-hmm. kind of surprises you when you find out that no, this is actually people actually like this, and you have to start walking in boldness and confidence and in the gifting that the Lord has given you. Um, I had to learn that God has given me enough to do exactly what He called me to do. Um, and I had to start walking in that. That's good. I think for you as a, like, in your vantage point as a teacher, 
it helps illustrate that the message doesn't end at the end of the song, right? Like the teaching, yeah. it's just the first part of the teaching, and then the teaching comes together through this. Was there someone in your life that had exemplified that ahead? Like, are you pioneering this vantage point, or did you have someone that had kind of set the bar as to what looking at worship, music, leading, teaching through this type of lens? Had someone set that example for you? There's just been people who've I've come in contact with that have taken the time to just teach me something. Um, and and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Like there was, there was this guy, his name was Ronnie Posey. Um, he was an awesome worship leader, lives in Cincinnati. Um, he's an older guy now, but I remember seeing him lead worship and he did something I've never seen before. He says, hey, I'm hearing a song and uh, in the spirit and and he pointed this guy out next to me. He was like, God's telling me to sing this over you. And he sang this song with verses and a chorus and a bridge. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, this song is written. This is something I just heard. And God said, sing this to you. And I'm singing exactly what he told me to sing. I remember the name of the, he. I, I named the song. I called it Man of Valor because that was a part of the lyrics. And um, I talked to him afterward. I said, man, what was that? And he was like, man, I... um." I just heard it. I said, have you, this is not a real song. He's like, no. Nah. Like, I just heard the melody and, and and God pointed me out, pointed the person out that I need to sing it over. Mm. And he was like, that's a real thing. Like, it's called prophetic singing. What? He's like, yeah. Like, you can actually hear what the angels are singing or you can actually hear what the Lord is singing because the Bible says he sings over us. You can act, your spirit, Holy Spirit actually sings a song and your spirit may have a song that needs to be released. And so you can actually just listen, hear that and sing that and and be instructed by the Holy Spirit on what to do with that. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> but, he didn't, but then after that conversation, he took time. Anytime I seen him somewhere, it was always a teaching moment. Yeah, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking like a prophetic moment like that, there's a risk as the one, as the artist to take the risk to speak that or sing that over someone because yeah. they could look at you and you could look foolish or you could look yeah. like you're seeing something. You don't know what else is going to come out of your mouth. Like there's a yeah. risk that's there. And even in taking the time to sit down intentionally and teach something, there's a sacrifice there. Like in both scenarios, there's risk and sacrifice. But when you live that way, that nothing is happenstance, nothing is like everything is intentional, that you can yeah. live with that intentionality. And as you've lived your life that way, one of the things that you've done is started cross-worship. Yeah, yeah. What need or gap were you seeing that then mm. led you to start cross-worship? You guys ready for the story? Yeah, we are. Yes. <laughs> so um, the only way to explain it is to tell the story about what happened. So... During this whole, this all ties into this prophetic worship thing. Um, I, I once I kind of seen this happen, I, I got extremely curious. Those who believe that their gifting is teacher, uh, one of their you know five full ministry gifts is teacher. That the teachers with becoming a teacher, you still have this desire for information. So when I seen this whole prophetic thing, I'm like, there's something I need to know. So I went hard on YouTube and just. Prophetic singing search, like what is this? Who's who's doing it? Um, and I came across Jesus culture, a Jesus culture video. Yeah, 
And um, there was a song on there, and, and, and Kim Walker was singing, um, he loves us, oh, how he loves us. And I'm like, and it just wrecked me. Like, it tore me to shreds. I was just in tears. I'm like, hold on, what is, what is this? You're, and I was, I, it was, it was, oh, it was so bad in a good way. Um, I'm like, man, who are these people? So long story short, I went. I researched. I need. I need to see them live. I need to because I started looking at other videos, and I'm like, oh, what is? They're they're just they live in this prophetic singing vein. I need to know what that is. I want to be under it. I want to be in a room. I want to experience that anointing for myself. And so um, they had a conference coming up in Chicago like that following week, and uh, they had like a few tickets left in the nosebleed section, and I'm just like, I need to be there. I don't have the money to to, to find somewhere to stay, but I, I'll I'll stay in my car that weekend, like, I, I need to be there. So I called up my best friend, and I was like, bro, like, I just found this group on YouTube. They got a conference coming up this weekend. You wanna roll with me? Um, do we have anywhere to stay? No, um, <laughs> but as long as we together, I think we'll we'll make it, we'll make it work. And so uh, we bought the tickets, they were like $60 a piece, and like, we were like, way in the nosebleed section. So we go down there and it's, um, I remember the count was 18,000 people mm. showed up to this conference and it ended up being a live recording too. It was just, just heavy outpour of God. And um, Reinhard Bonnke walks out in the midst of like this whole crazy moment. And he starts talking about, hey, the people that have come here, God is, it's, it's not strange for you to be here. Up oh, There's these buzzwords. Um, I think you've come here for a reason, and God has a mandate for you all, and he's going to release his glory upon you. And when you leave here, you're going to have a new vision on what you're supposed to be doing. I'm like, bet, <laughs> bet, like I'm here for it. Um, and he does his prayer, and he starts talking about the glory of God is going to rest upon the people. And as he gets done praying, I felt this weight, like literally the weight of God's glory. I thought that was kind of like, oh, that's just pretty wording. No, it was a real weight that I felt. It was a pressure in the room. And there's people speaking in tongues. This is going crazy. And then um, I had my eyes closed, and I remember God saying, open your eyes. One of the first times I've heard him tangibly speak, and like I was in a conversation with him. Open your eyes. I'm like, okay, cool. Now what? He says, look around. And from my vantage point, I can see the whole room. He says, uh, how many people in the room look like you? I'm like, oh, mm. bet I can do that. I look around, maybe about 20 people I can see in my vision out of 18,000 people. That was like my complexion. Mm. I felt like was in my culture or whatnot. And um, he said, you know, I'm doing these awesome things here, and that's great. But my problem is not all of my people are in the room to experience it. And I have a problem with that. I need you to go home and do something about it. Mm. I'm like, well, what is that? He said, that's the, that's it. That's the burden. That's the vision. Go home. I'm charging you to do something about my people not coming together to worship me as one. So I go home. I'm just praying on it, and I didn't know what to do. But I said, okay, cool. Maybe I can just have a conversation with leaders in the city about this vision, and I can get some clarity. So I wrote up a letter, and I sent it around to the city to pastors and youth pastors said, hey, it had, it had three questions on it. it. said, do you believe that Jesus really lived, really died, and really rose from the graves so that our sins may be forgiven? If your answer is yes, are you willing to meet with somebody, with a group of people who believe the same thing and are willing to come together to worship together? If so, meet me at my church at this day. And about 30 youth leaders and, and pastors show up. 
I didn't have I didn't have coffee prepared. I didn't have I didn't think you know I thought it was gonna be like two three guys yeah. show yeah. up, um, but then they they show up, and I met with them. I said, hey, I don't have a plan. This was just a burden God gave me, and I think we should come together and just worship. And um, the whole room was like, bet, let's do it. Um, put a date out. I'll bring my youth ministry. I'll bring my church, and we'll just meet together in one roof, and uh, there'll be no speaker. We're just going to worship and pray and go home. That's, if we can do that, I believe God will be got to uh, honor that. So we set up a date, and there was a pastor there, Chris Beard from People's Church. Mm-hmm. He was like, um, well, a, a representation from him was like, Dude, we can use People's Church. Like, this is what we're about. You don't have to pay anything. Just give us a date. Come. So I said, okay, could the youth, the people that's here, if you can get me in contact with your worship leader and the person who leads your band, if they're MD or something, can you have them meet with me, and we'll just bring all of our teams together, and we're just going to sing. Whatever we know, like no rehearsals, we're just gonna sing whatever we know. So they they all showed up the day, and right before I met with the worship leaders in the band, I was like, okay, cool. You play this, you play this, you play this. Let's let's what songs everybody know, real quick. Cool, bet bet bet. We could do that. Then right after that, we go out there and, and to start the service. And I'm thinking, eh, maybe a hundred people's gonna show up. Like five hundred people show up. Like there was like buses started pulling up to the church, and I'm like, oh, okay, this is real. This is a real thing now. Um, and we had this two hours of just this awesome time in the Lord together, all color, all creed, just just here believing that under the banner of Jesus Christ that he wants us to worship as one. And the scripture we used was, um, to back this up was John, where it says uh, Jesus, one of his last petitions here on earth, one of the last ones, and when you think about it, it has to be important if Jesus actually prayed and asked the Lord for this. Mm-hmm. He said, let them be one like you and I are one. Yeah, John mm-hmm. 17. Yep. That's it. That was a that was a petition. That was something he wanted. That was a, a heart's desire. And I believe it's still the same desire today, which is why he honors corporate gatherings of different color and creed and Jew and Gentile, all of us coming together just to worship as one. And we did that for a solid two hours. How it turned into cross-worship was, People started asking, like, hey, this collaborative band, could you do our youth camp? Could you mm-hmm. <laughs> could you do this and could you do that? And if we invited this collaborative band to this program, are you or would you be down? And um so yeah, but we called that night cross worship because we were crossing over all denominational and, and cultural boundaries just to worship God as one. So then we ended up calling the band that. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining two hours of worship without any rehearsal, any preparation. And then what year was that? So it was nine years ago. It was about 2012. It was, yeah, around there. So nine years ago. What has been the ripple effect in these nine years? What have you seen God do? The thing that's really blessed me is it gives people the okay to do it as well. And I'm like, hey, don't leave it here at this event or this night. If you've seen us come together, you can actually come together with churches in your own community. Um, I remember telling some pastors in um we got invited to go to um, London, and we're like, man, we need something like this here. Like, yeah, you can do it. Like, you don't need us mm-hmm. here to do that. Just call up some pastors, and if I'm pretty sure that a majority of them believe in Jesus like you. You guys just have to decide to come together, whether it's for missions, whether it's for a youth event, whether it's for just a prayer, whatever. It doesn't have to be a worship night, but you have to decide to just worship or come. I'm sorry. You have to decide to just do it as one. 
and got to honor that and just see what he does with it. With such a movement like that around cross worship, I think there's, I don't think there's a better word to describe it than a movement that's happened. There have to be these unforeseen challenges that come as the mm. movement launches. <laughs> what are some of the things that you're like, I did not know I was signing up for that when I said yes for this. What are some of the things oh. that have been challenging? So after the first cross worship, worship and prayer night, I said, hey, some of these leaders, let's meet regularly, monthly, and let's just talk about what's coming up in a city that we can just hit it together. And I have to, you don't have to do it in your own silo. Let's do it together. So we started meeting, and those meetings got pretty, pretty intense because mm. theology started getting in, in the mm. play. Um, I remember one youth pastor was like, so when we do another event, like, and you ask people, do they want to give their lives to the Lord? You want to ask some of these youth in the room, do they want to give their lives to the Lord? Um, are we baptizing that night? <laughs> yeah, been in those rooms. Oh, and I said, yeah. of course, my quick answer was like, no, because that was the culture I yeah, yeah. Well, we'll schedule that, and <laughs> you know. Yeah. And there was a fence that instantly rose. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you can't Fair. ask people. He, he was apostolic. You can't ask people to be saved and not be ready to baptize them right there on the spot. Like that's not cool. And it turned into this whole mm. theology conversation and and doctrine doctrinal conversation. And I remember I had to break it up because, like, uh, I mean, it it you get a room full of pastors fussing about what they believe and their revelation, like it gets pretty intense and like feelings get hurt. I remember breaking it up, like, hold on, hold on. That I know everybody's upset, but that's why we're here. The the point of being here is saying we have differences, but we can do this together. Mm. What are you willing to lay down? What are you willing to you know, what soapbox are you gonna stand on and what are you willing to lay down? What made it worth it to push through that? To see what God did in the room when we did come together. That made it worth it. Um, the lives that are changed still to this day and the testimonies we still hear from those events, um, that made it worth it. Mm. That made it worth it to, because um, we talked about the Soul Alive video earlier, because um, that was the band being invited to a youth camp in Cincinnati because they said we have a diversity issue in our youth ministry and it would be great to put some people up there who do not look like them. Yeah. You guys have a great example. Lead worship for this thing. Um, so what made it worth it is what the Lord did for that moment, because I believe his anointing was the fact that it was a collaborative moment. Mm. It wasn't just a band singing. It was, it was a moment of none of those people would go to the same church that was on stage. We're all from different places, and we agreed to just unite for this youth camp. Um, but there are testimonies on there of, hey, I played this for my sister who dealt with this, and she was healed. And if you just read through the comments, it's it's crazy, these miracles that happen, just based off of this one night that we decided to put our agendas aside and worship God as one. When you think about the opportunities to represent a multi-ethnic experience within worship and a cross-cultural element, and then the tendency for majority culture-led churches and organizations to need a token of that. Mm-hmm. How do you, have you have you been in those moments where you felt that tension, where it's like I don't know if you want multi-ethnic experience here, or you just want a token experience to say that you did it? Have you yeah. felt that? Oh yeah, I felt that in our own city. 
Yeah. Um, there were times where I did learn that, oh, you just want me here to say you had a black guy on stage. Right. And you learn that during the process of like rehearsal and stuff like that. Like, hey, we need more diversity. We need some help. Could you come? And then you come there and they just, they just you become a yes man. They just tell you what to do. Yeah. And it's like, you're not inviting my culture here. You're not being multicultural, multi-ethnic, because you, you're just inviting the look. And it's not multicultural, multi-ethnic if you just put a black guy on stage in front of a group of white people. It's not. Um, mm. Diversity is bringing me and my experiences as a black guy into a situation where it's not prevalent. That's diversity in and allowing me to do exactly what God called me to do. What's funny about the um, the Soul Eye video, it was the same type of situation that happened. We, um, and, but it wasn't, I, I felt the heart because it wasn't a negative situation. It was more of a, um, hey, these are some youth. We haven't taught them about worship, so can you not treat them as if they were adults? Um, can we cut back on this, this, and this, and this, and this type of thing doing worship that we know you guys do? And Osby, who led the song, like, it broke him. He's like, I don't know how to lead outside of how God created me to lead. Yeah. Like, what are you asking me to do? And like, it, it was, he was like borderline in tears. I said, okay. And that was a moment of for teaching. I said, Osby, bro. And that's my cousin. I said, bro, um, I know this makes you highly upset. But as a servant, let's, we were hired in to come do a thing. Um, we can pass through the mess later. Like, let's, let's have a coffee. Let's talk to leaders and say, hey, that was not cool. Like, mm. And because you don't know. You don't know it's not cool. Um, but someone who's black, charismatic, um, Holy Spirit filled just took offense to that. And, but you're just like, hey, well, this is just what we do. Yeah. And so we can talk about it. We'll talk, we'll talk. We'll talk to the leadership. Like that's what we're here for. We'll. We just need to have the conversation, shift some paradigms. Um, and so he walks out. And if you watch the video, that's why he was so broken up mm-hmm. when he hits the stage. And so, but as we were leaving, I said, "Man, um, be led still. Honor the house. But bro, if whatever God's telling you to do." Leave it all out here. Either they're just not going to invite us. Either they're going to invite us back next year or they're not. They know They know who they invited. I said, but honor, you know, like, sing the song. Mm. Don't, don't, you know, don't speak in tongues like they're asking. <laughs> they told you not to. Don't do that. Don't do all the extra stuff. Um, but, bro, be who God called you to be. Mm. And so he walks out, and that was, that was why his posture was so, like, because everybody writes on there, like, man, I'm trying to figure out why he was so emotional. That's literally what happened. He had to overcome mm-hmm. the cultural boundary and and get out there and sing this song after he was just offended by the the mm-hmm. cultural difference. Um, I believe that's why God put his hand on him. Is it exhausting to have to continually overcome that offense? It can be. It can be, but I think it's worth it. It's worth the combo because even after that type of situation, we were able to have a meeting a conversation afterwards. I was, I went, we had some talks with leadership to say, hey, like this wasn't cool. This didn't, this wasn't how it was supposed to pan out. Um, you're, you invited 
us for a reason. Let that be the reason, you know. Um, and we were able to talk, and, and I, I realized through that conversation, like, the offense wasn't intended. That wasn't the heart. But, you know, culturally, you just say things and you think, yeah, well, you know. But there was a real offense there, and the conversation helped us to acknowledge that and to talk it out, which which I think now that was the plus side of the whole conversation because now if this ever happens again, you're going to approach it, they're going to approach it differently, we're going to approach it differently. Yeah. And I think that's why the whole unity piece is important. Yeah, it makes me think that, I mean, five million plays doesn't come free, right? Like it's that idea that somebody paid a, a price even on the front end of these hard conversations that yeah. happen, even changing the posture of a leader walking out on stage that is uh, putting a voice to a song through pain and angst. Yeah. Right. In the moment that it's not just you piece something together and then it just goes like, yeah, there was a price paid. When you think about it's been nine years of cross worship. When you think about the next nine years, what's the vision, the dream? Connectivity, still unity um, and just trying to push it as far as God wants it to go. Um, right now, we've been blessed to, to sign with Capital. Congratulations. Um, yeah, that was, that was huge. Yeah, it's huge. It's, it's, it's huge. And um, we, that was not anything expected. Um, but huh. had a meeting, got a call. Um, it was funny is I got it. We, it was some of our leaders from Cross Worship got invited to um, Maverick City writing camp. And they were in Nashville. And some of our friends in Maverick City, like we've known them for years. And We've been in the same worship nights and things like that. So we were invited to this writing camp to write together. And so we're, I'm, I'm sitting in between one of the sessions and um, talking to this guy who's sitting on the couch. And he was just asking, like, who are you and what do you do? That was the main conversation with a lot of mm -hmm. people there. Um, and so I was like, hey, well, I lead cross worship, blah, blah. He's like, dude, I've seen this whole live video. Like, can you explain to me what this is? And I'm like, okay. So I go through this whole spiel. And um, he says, man... I would love to chat with you some more about this. He said, this, this whole weekend has been great with Maverick City. He said, but this moment right here, hearing this story, he said, this really blessed me. And mm -hmm. I felt like I was supposed mm -hmm. to be here to hear this. There it is, another mm -hmm. one of those mm -hmm. you know, conversations. And uh, he says, give me a call. So he walks away. And um, our, the guy, our liaison, business liaison, walks up. He said, dude, you know who you're just talking to? Nah, I don't think I really called his name for real. <laughs> and he was like, dude, like he leads this division of capital. And like, if he says he's down with what you guys got going on, he's like, you you need to call him. If he says call, that is, you need to make that phone call. And uh, we just had this awesome, after that, had these awesome conversations and ended up signing with them. And um, and he just believes in the, in the vision. Well, they, they believe in the vision. They just believe that. We should be worshiping together, and um, there's a new bridge that God is opening up that's unifying the church through worship. Um, and I don't believe we're just the only ones heralding that, and, and they know that too. It's like God is raising up these these bands and these communities that are focused on unity and crossing over these boundaries. And He was like, "Man, to, to meet you and to hear this, how what God's doing in it." He's like, I, "We want to help push that." 
So that's a new thing that's happening in the next nine, 10 years that I'm excited to see what God does. We like to end our interviews by saying thank you. And first of all, I want to thank you on a personal level. Um, in September, I was at a conference that Cross Worship um, led the worship at the Christian Alliance for Orphans Conference. Oh, man, that was amazing. And there <laughs> there was a song that you all sang called Same God. Oh, yeah. And it really spoke to me personally on a very deep level in a season when I was walking through a lot of grief and loss, yeah. and it was really hard to find my footing. And that song, I played it on repeat. I played it loud in my car. I played it loud in my house over and over. I'm sure my neighbors know the lyrics too. But it helped me find footing and wow. find um, that reminder that God is the same no matter what is present in my life or not. And so I want to say thank you on a personal level because that um, song was uh, a handhold for me in a wow. season where I couldn't find one. And I also want to say thank you on behalf of every person that's been in an audience where you all have led worship and had that same sort of experience. Thank you on behalf of people who never thought that they could see a church cross denominational divides and have experienced woundedness by denominational divisions mm -hmm. and that cross worship can be an example that the church can come together as one. And thank you on behalf of those who play their songs loud in their car and listened to that So Will I video or watched it and found Jesus for the first time because of that video. Thank you for the work that you do. This week I was leaving um, an after school, like we call it a community of belonging. And I was talking to my wife, just connecting afterward. And she asked me how my day was. I said, so hard. And she actually was like, do you need more counseling? Because every day is hard with the stories. And that's really true for me in the like non-podcast world for me is that I get to um, walk in some really hard stories that almost always include children and youth that are happening in our world that just aren't fair. And in preparation this morning for our conversation with Troy, I actually played So Will I. So did I. Good, yes, we, we do our homework. <laughs> And I find myself emotionally driving into the office thinking, why am I fighting tears back? And I think the way Troy described the song and the emotional tension within the vocalist's voice made it a safe space for me to process the hard stories that I don't normally feel like I have a place to process. I think that's what music does for us, right, is that from what I've heard, it opens up both sides of our brains to be able to be working together. So my brain can't cheat itself when I'm in a worship moment like that. It can't hide the story in another place. But I got full access to it, and I was so grateful that I did because the emotion needed to come out. Another part of it is that science that we can sometimes live in the left logical side of our brain and try and make sense of things logically and leave the emotion out of it just to kind of make it through. But it's when we engage with music, it moves over to that right side of the brain, and that's where we find our emotions and some of the emotions that we've been hiding. And that's also why music helps us process hard emotional events, because it gives us access to that part. I think about how that crosses both sides of the brain, and the whole point of cross-worship is to cross yeah. those divides, both racially and denominationally. How did you feel, Chris, as you were listening to Troy describe some of the challenges he's faced? Yeah, I continue to feel the burden. If you're 
a regular audience member for this, you know, my vantage point often comes from a place of belonging and equity. Like that's where my heart is. And as Troy is saying that he's standing in a conference center or an arena with 18,000 people and he looks around and sees 20 or 30 that look like him and experience life, I would have seen 17,960. And that tension continues to burden me that our vantage point on the conversation can be different and there can be tension. And if I force anyone into my vantage point, I'm silencing someone else's vantage point. That's one thought. And the second is it makes me really thankful that he is a man who believes in saying, why not? Mm -hmm. Because that could be so disheartening in a venue that large. And the one you could silence might be the voice of God of going, that must not be me because this feels too large. But with a perspective on why not, it changes that. Yeah, I think that's a takeaway for me. And Mm -hmm. I think that could be a takeaway for all of us of where are those moments when I'm resistant to something that I think I should do whether it's even walk across the room and have a conversation with someone or pursue a community that I haven't been a part of before. And then that asking, well, why not? Like, why, why not? I can think of countless scenarios when maybe I would have been braver if I had walked myself through, why, why not? Um, so I think that's a big takeaway. And, and then I'm also thinking, how can I be a part of inviting and opening doors in rooms or inviting people into the room. How how can I be a part of crossing that divide? Yeah. Along with cross worship. Like how what is my role in that? Yeah, and that was the important takeaway or thread that I would have like pulled on in that or am pulling on for myself is how can I walk into a space and accept everyone as they are and they belong now? That's the tension Mm -hmm. that we heard in a lot of this story is that um, the tension between wanting the results of what you bring the way you brought it, but needing you to change and transform to the way we do things in order to bring that same result, right? That, That is the takeaway for me of when I'm in a room, am I accepting everyone as they are to bring their best or am I demanding that they change that to they be like me? Or they get put in a box or just restrict it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to do that. Yeah, and I think my final takeaway is I'm going to keep listening to Cross Worship. And they're going to be putting out new music. We're going to have links in the show notes to where you can find more music from them, where you can find that uh, YouTube video that we talked about that is at 54. And I'm sure by the time this comes out, 56 million views and links to follow Troy um, are all, all that information's in the show notes. So thank you again to Kohach Mason, our incredible producer, Mikey, and we will see you all on the next episode.